What's good, movie fans? It's your boy Panda from Lizard and Panda Take On Cinema here doing a special episode, a solo episode, because Lizard's on vacation. Um, so I am doing things a little bit different this episode. Instead of movie news, um, I'm actually going to be focusing on a little segment. I've done similar segments before, but why not? We're heading into half the year, so let's talk about movies turning 30 years old this year. So that's going to be fun. Really feeling the weight of how old I am now. But the reason behind this is because this Saturday, I believe, June 17th, um, is... Uh, Netflix's To Doom 2023 international event uh, from Brazil, and they're going to be showing a whole bunch of new stuff, movies, uh, TV shows, clips and trailers of each of them, uh, future projects, but most importantly, they're going to be talking about the live action One Piece, and I'm so hype. That being said. We're going to continue into the oldness. We're going to step into the old machine and turn and feel old. That's what I mean. Okay, so now we've taken our trip in the way back machine to 1993, 30 years ago. And these are some of the hit titles that come out 30 years ago. And those titles include Jurassic Park, everyone loves that movie, Steven Spielberg, classic. And honestly, the effects on dinosaurs still hold up. Groundhog Day, come on, it's a Bill Murray classic. Do I have to say anything else? Sleepless in Seattle. Not a personal favorite of mine. I'm not really a rom-com type of dude, so... Okay, still... Still 93 movie, so... Robin Hood, Men in Tights. I love this movie. It's so funny. If Liz was here, she'd be singing parts of the song. Just... Randomly. Um... The Sandlot. So quotable. It's such a like this perfect nostalgic, um, feel good pocket of a moment in like your childhood summers. Yeah. Coneheads. It's it's funny. Stan Hansley. Come on. Free Willy. The little baby Elijah Wood. He is actually. More of a hobbit than he is now. Because he's like my height. So I can say that. It's fine. Oh. This is a guilty pleasure movie of mine. Super Mario Brothers movie. It, Donald is not hilarious. It's so good. Hocus Pocus. You know what? That's all you need. Is the name. I ain't gotta say nothing else. I really don't. 
Dazed and Confused came out 30 years ago. So that's an all right for each decade. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> oh, this is Doubtfire, Robin Williams. It still makes me sad. Still such a good movie. The Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't really have to say nothing else. We did a whole episode on this. Come on, it's a classic. Schindler's List. This is still tough watch. It's such a good movie. It's really well directed. I mean, Steven Spielberg, so obviously. Uh, Cinematography-wise, it's amazing. Uh, Liam Neeson. It's, it's so good. It really is. Menace to society. I mean, if you grew up in the hood, you had to watch this movie. I grew up in the hood, too. Shit. It's another classic. And finally, we have Homeward Bound. The Incredible Journey. That has a firm grip on my childhood. Such a good movie. Alright, so I'm recording now. It's it's daytime, so I could be loud now. Um <laughs> uh as Alright, there's a little bit of a lapse between recording just because I passed out when I was in the middle of doing that. Um, So this next section, I'm going to be talking about a single movie that I saw that I haven't seen before. I finally saw Avatar Way of the Water. Wasn't bad. I actually enjoyed it more than the first one. A lot more than the first one. This one actually... I mean, it recycled a lot of shit. And... It was enjoyable. Pretty pictures everywhere. The plots... Eh. It's okay. Like, I've seen better plot in a fucking OVA of... Anime that's like six episodes deep. But still, it's not bad. It, it Does it deserve as much money as it got? No. Not at all. It's relatively subpar. It's passable as a um, a family watch, especially if you have family members who, like in my case, don't really have that well of a taste in movies. I mean, my mom likes fucking Catwoman and the Chung Lee movie. So her tastes are a little bit skewed. But yeah, if the family movie, they'll sit down, enjoy it, watch it. It's it's a fun little movie, but it's it doesn't deserve the the praise it got. It really doesn't. Um, as far as that, I didn't really watch anything else. It's mostly just been One Piece. I'm caught up on to episode eight. 
So I'm inching closer. My my cutoff date is July 21st. I have to catch up by July 21st. Because that's when the uh, Gear 5 episode premieres. And I really can't wait for that. Okay, so we're finally coming to the actual movie that we're talking about this week. Or I'm talking about this week, because it's just me. And that is 1995's Ghost in the Shell, directed by Mamoru Oshii. Screenplay by uh, Kazunori Ito. And it's based based on the manga of the same name, Ghost in the Shell, by Masamune Mishiro. Um, This movie was produced by... Yoshimasa Miso, Ken Matsumoto, Ken Iyadomi, Mitsus, wait, Mitsu, Mitsuhisha Isakawa, Isakawa, there we go. Wow, I'm butchering some of these names. I'm usually relatively good. Uh, cinematography was Hisao Shirai. It was edited by Suichi Takesu, with Takesu. Uh, and Shigeyuki Yamamori. Uh, music is by Kenji Kawai. And the production companies were uh, Bandai Visual, Production IG, and Manga Entertainment. Uh, this movie was released... <laughs> actually... The day before my birthday, back in 1995, so that'll be November 18th in Japan. Um, as a runtime of 82 minutes, a budget of 330 million yen, and the box office made 10 million dollars. Uh, let's see. What am I missing? Oh, yeah, that's right. Where can you find it to stream? And I also have the tagline for this movie, too. The tagline for Ghost in the Shell is... It found a voice. Now it needs a body. Dun, dun, dun. And as far as streaming, um, you can watch it for free on YouTube. It's free on Tubi. It's free on Pluto TV. On Amazon Prime. On freebie, uh, available for one ninety nine on Google Play, or three ninety nine on Apple TV, Redbox, and Voodoo. I feel like I'm missing something. Oh right, scores. Uh, Seven point nine out of ten from IMDb, ninety five percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and four out of five out of out of Letterbox, or from Letterbox. Yeah, th- this movie's a fucking classic. Like, sure, Blade Runner was the one that carved the pathway for cyberpunk movies. Like, the whole aesthetics of the, the city, the lights, the feel, the grunginess of, like, that the, the cyberpunk setting... But 
Ghost in a Shell revolutionized it through animation and actually who was it? Oh, it was the Wachowskis. They actually named Ghost in the Shell one of the influences for their movie The Matrix. And if you go back and watch both The Matrix and uh, Ghost in the Shell, there's a lot of scenes that almost looked ripped straight from this animated movie. Um, as well as, like, some of the concepts, too. Like, this entire movie is pretty much about, like, uh, the relationship between religion and technology. Um, at what point the, does something sentient, like, like, gain a soul? What is a soul? What is life? What is sentience? It, it it's so meta in that sense that like it, it really makes you think that that's what it does it really makes you think about reality in a sense You're saved. Matt from Tina. you ordered a few Jessies. Oh, okay. <clears throat> oh, I'm going to leave this in the podcast, too. What the fuck? Yeah, I'm in the middle of recording. You fucking, as always, bust through my door like the fucking Kool-Aid man. Just like that, with the thunderstorms and everything. Yeah, call me Thunder, bitch. Fucking dickhead. Raijin, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm seriously leaving this entire... Yeah? This entire thing in. I'm gonna put a laugh track in the back and everything. You <laughs> <laughs> can use that fucking laugh as a laugh track. <laughs> Sorry for my language, people. I just have a bad potty mouth. Bye. The fuck does that mean? I curse all the time on this fucking podcast. I don't know. <laughs> So we had a small little special guest of my brother popping into the fucking room <laughs> and my dog. Either way, what was I talking about? I'm leaving that entire thing in. I'm I'm legit leaving that entire thing in. It's <laughs> Um Yeah, I completely lost my train of thought. All right, so after that little interruption, <laughs> Um, we're going to state off some, uh, some facts, a little bit of facts about, uh, Ghost in the Shell. And then from there, I'm just going to go by explaining some of the scenes that I like. Yeah, that sounds like a plan. All right, so Ghost in the Shell was actually the first anime movie to be released in Japan. U.S. and the U.K. all at the same time, which was unprecedented. They pretty much wanted to do that so they can try to finally bring anime to mainstream audiences across the world. 
didn't really do that well in the box office. But on secondary sales between the VHS and the blue uh, DVDs, not even Blu-rays, DVDs at that point. Um, yeah, that's where the um, the money ended up coming in, and it catapulted it into cult classic status. So the manga for Ghost in the Shell was actually started back in 1985 by Masamune Shiro. Um, and, uh, let's see. Oh, here we go. Even though there's a lot of subtext of religion and technology crossing, uh, Masamune, the creator, had always claimed that this wasn't intentional, but instead the theory is that science and technology were becoming like magic. Which makes a lot of sense. Uh, I forget who who said it, but um, magic and science fiction is just precursor to science fact. But that that's pretty much the world that we're living in now. That technology has become so advanced, and not as advanced as we thought that it was going to be, but still advanced enough that it really does feel like magic like you're I'm, I'm sitting here recording an entire podcast while looking through my notes while connected to some invisible web of information like if you take out all the um technological um nomenclature out of conversations about technology and just use whatever descriptive words it just sounds like magic it sounds like it casting spells like a wizard or a warlock but yeah no i totally agree with that um but the religious subtext cross or subtext according to shiro is actually based on animism or the belief that Natural objects have souls and that things in the world aren't controlled by God, but by nature. Which actually more so along, uh, like, goes along with my beliefs. Like, I, I, I don't want to get too philosophical in a podcast about Ghost in the Shell, but it, that's usually where it ends up going. Um, yeah, no, like... Nature, the world, the, the the universe, that's what controls everything, in my opinion. So, I, I guess that's why this movie kind of speaks to me in a bit, in a bit because it, it, it caters to that mindset that I have. Um, let's see what else I have. Okay, I said that. Um... So, Shiro, the director, uh, actually went into a lot of detail and research when it came to creating the world of Ghost in the Shell. And he went into detail that included the technology, or how the technology works, the politics, political agendas. It, uh, the way the movie starts, too, and throughout the movie, they, it, they just place you into this world without any context. But because everyone in the world knows what's going on and there's no need for explanation for the characters, 
you feel like you're just part of that world instead. Like, it's... Like, hardwire inject you into the scene, and you're just like, okay, this is how the world works. This is how everything works. Um... What else do we have? Oh, okay. So also, the manga and the movie are different in time. Wait, what? The manga and the movie are very... The manga and the movie are actually relatively different in comparison to each other. Um, while the movie and the, the, the anime and the spinoffs all have this very dark and gritty tone to them, uh, the manga is actually relatively funny and lighthearted at times. Like, people crack jokes. Um, there's, like actual comedic scenes this one is just like straight serious if you're going into a day of work with detectives or police officers or something like that okay we're gonna get down to the nitty-gritty we're gonna actually talk about the movie more so talk about scenes that i like um so starting off like the beginning the cold open to this movie uh, I think is so immensely iconic from the shot of the major on top of the building and she's listening out for uh, this political assassination that she has to fucking go through or do. Um, yeah, just like the the whole like therm op- optics uh, outfit that she has going invisible uh, the design of the city, too, looks incredible. And just the fact that it's all hand-drawn animation. You don't see that anymore. Everything's digital now. So, uh, the Major ends up carrying out the assassination. Blows this dude's head off. You see it, like, legitimately explode. Um, so then, like... The group that that guy was with all start shooting out windows because they noticed that's that's where the shot came through. And then they all head out to look outside the window and you just see the shot of the major dropping down from a tall-ass building, just looking up at them with a sly smile as she go, starts to like fade into invisibility. So then you get the sequence where you actually see... Um, I guess the creation or the re like the upgrade of, um, the major's, um, cybernetic body. And it goes from a shot of like her in fetal position with all the parts all exposed and like opened up and then all that starts closing and then she gets sent into like this bath thing and that's what um pretty much like gives her the skin 
And honestly, that scene reminds me so much of um, Lilu's resurrection in um, my favorite movie of all time, The Fifth Element. Like that whole concept of like rebuilding the body, like pre-3D printer before we actually had 3D printers. Um, not so much to that extent of like the whole slicing uh, part of like rebuilding a body, but like putting her together. Then you see the coating of the skin on and then it like solidifies and then like the, the outer later layer starts like deteriorating and only leaving skin color. That whole sequence is beautifully animated and it has this haunting soundtrack in the back. Um, I don't remember the exact name of that OST, but if I remember correctly, it's actually a, um, I think it was a Japanese prayer that they used and it, it wanted to, um, tie in those themes of, like I said before, um, technology, religion, existentialism. All right, so I found the name of that OST that was playing during that scene. Uh, it's called um, The Making of a Cyborg. It was written in ancient Japanese. And it's, like I said, it was a, used to be a Japanese uh, prayer. Um, but yeah, directly after that scene, uh, we see the Major um, waking up from a dream, which is pretty much the dream of her getting created. Um, but yeah, I actually like that scene, not because there's, there's like anything going on because it's legitimately her waking up and then leaving the room, but the way they animated it, it was the lighting in that scene. I feel like was genius because you just have a black background, which is the room and the light source coming from the single window in the room and it's just overseeing the, the city skyline. So the major wakes up and like contemplates off to the side, finally gets up and then you just see her form silhouetted in front of that um, window. It, it's so good. Oh, it's so well drawn. It, it's just like little stuff like that that I like so much. Um, it, it really helps with like the tone of this film. Um, so yeah, after that, that's when finally that OST ends, and then we finally go get into the movie. And, uh, what happens at this point? From that, we actually start getting into, like, the plot of what's going on. You see uh, a helicopter arrive, they're briefing the Major and her team on what's going on, and apparently it's a another cyborg that got her ghost hacked so the ghost is pretty much what gives the the cyborg sentience but not full autonomy like a human being so yeah apparently in this world uh, doing something like that is extremely illegal uh very rare so they're trying to find this cyber hacker and um obviously bring uh, a close to it 
so I love how with this movie, like any of the downtime scenes between like the major and her crew, they all sound like legitimate conversations that like officers and agents would be having. They'd be talking about the case. They 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 would be giving each other information that they know. Like there's a, this entire scene after they get the rundown of the hacker whose name is the puppet master and they're driving to the location and the entire time in the uh the the van uh the major is talking to her uh subordinate and I forget his name but um they're just discussing the case she's like okay uh yeah this is the pu- puppet master that we're going after he's this um elusive cyber hacker and uh we don't know much about this person we don't even know their their um their gender their sex um all we know is that they might be american and they they usually target stocks and uh political stuff and like different cyber attacks um but yeah like those little conversations in between are it makes you feel like you're just part of that world instead of going in and being introduced to everything it's more so it's common like nomenclature to know all of this within the world and i love stories that are able to do that correctly all right so the next thing i want to talk about that i love is when they're uh chasing down the um uh it's pretty much like a pawn of the um the puppet master who takes over this guy that he, um he's just a, a a trash guy so him and his partner are just driving around they keep on making stops and he's feeding them the story that he's uh trying to hack into something so he could find dirt on his wife because he thinks she's te- cheating on him or something along those lines but um it's the aftermath of that once they catch everyone and they're interviewing that man, and they're like, um, tell us about your background. And he's like, I, I, have, I have a wife, I have kids, like, I have a picture of them, I love them very much. And they're like, dude, you, you actually don't have a wife and kids. You're, you're a blank body. You're just implanted all these memories. And you just see this person start to, like, pretty much lose themselves they're like no i i I have a family i don't know what you're talking about and like scenes like that are so it's done so well um though in my opinion i think the uh the japanese voice actors do a slightly better job than um if not just a full-on better job than the american voice actors and i i feel like that that's also my issue with dubs of anime in general um because the american actors are so locked into um the the different syllables of how the mouth moves when the animation is already done in japan they can't really express too much outside of that line they need to find how to emote within those um those breakdowns so obviously because it's made for japanese they're able to actually just fully emote and put in so much um emotion behind their characters 
so also along with that scene, um, I cannot forget about the um, the water fight scene. So you have like this. Uh, it looks like a courtyard or something like that, and it's it has like a good like half a foot of water. So the um, the one hacker ends up running out into his field because he's getting chased by uh, Major and her crew um, and he's shooting around. And obviously, the Major has that thermal optics uh, suit, so she's invisible. And just the, cho- the fight choreography in that scene and how the, um, the composition of the scene is, too, so good. And oh, also the scene... Oh, what's his name? Um, Bato, that's his name. Um, Bato, when he's chasing the, uh, the hackers through this, uh, what looks like a farmer's market, uh, there's a whole bunch of, if you're on the East Coast, especially Northeast, and if you're around the tri-state area, you know Columbus Flea Market, that's what it looked like. It looked like a giant flea market with just groceries and stuff on either end, and they're chasing this hacker through that, and they're shooting through, people are getting shot, like, casualties and whatnot but that whole sequence is also dope also i forgot to mention this movie actually started the the whole black screen with the green text thing um that the matrix does matrix does yeah i saw it on here first all right so here's that interrogation scene i was talking about where they're telling this man that his entire life was fake so i'm gonna play you that like just the interaction that was happening during that. What's a simulated experience again? Well, all your memories about your wife and daughter are false. They're like a dream. Someone's taken advantage of you. They were trying to make you ghost hack into some government officials. Do you understand what I'm saying? But that can't be. I've been to your home. It's a bachelor's apartment. No one's there. But I already told you. I rented that room separated from my wife i checked the records you've been living there over 10 years the truth is you've never had a wife or kid like he said they aren't real they're a simulated experience a fantasy look this is the photo you showed to your co-worker who do you see i had a picture of her she was there she was smiling like an angel it's literally just a picture of himself Where'd you meet your wife and when did you marry her? And like the the blank look on his face and like just tears starting to come out. Realizing that your entire life was fake, that it was generated by an algorithm. And like, those are like, I feel like the key points in this movie is like, what's real and what's, generated what's a creation and at what point does a creation become real all right so the last two scenes i want to talk about um first it's uh the scene where um uh, who is it is it's the major and she ends up um deciding to go deep diving to clear her mind and she's just down in the um in the middle of the ocean full like wetsuit um respirator and stuff and when she comes up she sees um bato 
and Bato pretty much asked her, what, like, why do you always do this if you know there's a chance for us to sink because we're cyborgs, we're all metal? Like, what happens if your um, flotation device um, or your flotation bladder ends up m malfunctioning? And the major is pretty much like, if that happens, then that's where I'm going to end up dying. That That's it. And then, like, it's her, um, okay, so at this point, um, after the major pretty much says that if she dies in the water, that's what's going to happen, um, her ghost takes over, and out of nowhere, it just ends up saying this quote, uh, from Corinthians 13, which is, when I was a child, my speech, feelings, and thinking were all those of a child. Now that I am a man, I have no more use for childish ways. Um, I, and I, I feel like this is being used in the context of like, uh, like evolution in a sense, but not of like natural evolution, but of the progression through technology instead. That as a, uh, how do I put this? Us as a human race it, are still children. But once you start adding in those cybernetics and the technology, you start to develop more and more. And that that's at least how I interpreted that scene. But, um... Yeah, that, that quote ends up coming back around at the end. So the scene I want to talk about after that is the um, the final conflict. So they actually end up um, finding a cyborg body that um, was being captured. And it actually had trapped inside the, um, the consciousness of the puppet master. Which they end up finding out that the Puppet Master is actually a program that gains sentience. And because it gains sentience, it's demanding um, political asylum. So it wants to be recognized as a um, living creature. And that's why it's doing all of the, the hacking that's so it's all in preparation to be made into a, an actual person along with that he's been targeting the uh, the major this entire time because he feels like she has the right mindset as a cyborg to be able to merge with her and create a new being um so the puppet master ends up uh taking over um this giant mech that kind of looks like the the what, what was it EDO one I think was from um Robocop. You know it was Robot Robo Robocop one, yeah. And the major ends up going alone to try to stop this because she still wants to sync not sync with the ghost or the the puppet master, but like try to get information. So she's on top of this um this mech. Literally trying to pull it apart with her bare hands. 
and she's just like squatted on top of this arms all the way down on like the the latch of this uh this mech and she's ripping up like legitimately ripping up you see bones and skin start to crack and rip until she finally ends up uh ripping her arms off by accident um while this is all happening there's a secondary government group that wants to get a hold of the ghost so they can destroy it the major just wants to try to understand it more so they end up pretty much being at, at odds with each other so that secondary um government group ends up trying to kill the major while she's down she like her her arms are both ripped off um the muscles in her back are all ripped apart her legs are destroyed all from trying to open up this the hole of this mech to the to, to connect with it so uh bato actually stays behind and helps guard her while she's connecting to the puppet master and it's at that point that they finally end up agreeing to um merge and that's only because the major's body gets completely destroyed so then we a after all that happens we cuts to um just a close-up on the major's face and it's slowly panning out and she has this like dead expression on her face and if the farther you pull out you realize that she's actually in a child's body they had to completely remake her as a child um, but she still has her memories. And it's at that moment that, um, when she's having a conversation with Bato that she's like, um, yeah, pretty much, um, I'm not completely me anymore. I'm something completely different because she did end up merging with that program. Um, so now she's off on her own to figure things out as a new entity it, a new living being on planet earth and that's how the movie ends like i can't tell you the like how much existential dread i got when i watched this movie for the first time what was it a good maybe 20 years ago at this point i had to be between the ages of 10 and 12 to where i Maybe I shouldn't have been watching this movie, but then again, that goes with any movie that I've been watching since I was little. Like, I grew up on Chuck Norris movies and, like, war movies and shit like that. And, like, my family that ain't had no qualms with me just sitting there and watching an R-rated movie at, like, six years old, seven years old, anything from there. Liz had the same experience, too. She was watching horror movie since she was young but um yeah either way uh I, yeah maybe i shouldn't have watched this movie at that age just because like the the concepts behind it were too deep for me to understand but now as an adult i'm like oh there's some trippy shit man <laughs> but yeah that's uh ghost in the shell
yeah, I, I, I do really like this movie. I, I, I will say that it is not for everyone. I got a feeling like Liz probably wouldn't have liked this movie. Maybe. Um. Yeah, like. Some people might have an issue with the nudity in the movie. And it's not even that much. And it's actually done tastefully. It's not like gratuitous nudity. It's more so like it's showing like creation and re- uh Yeah, it's just showing like uh, creation, rebuilding something as uh, the only parts with nudity. There, like, there's no like sex scenes or anything like that. Um, but I know there's some people that find nudity and animation to be weird because they still have this concept that animation needs to be for children only, and that's not the case. Animation is a medium. Just like anime is a medium. There's different genres in that medium. So it can be for children, but it can be for adults. There's... That's why you have uh, the the shonen uh, anime and mangas. You have shoujo, uh, shoujo, shoujo. Um, yeah, you have different things that are targeted to different people. So uh, the the vast majority of watchers need to start getting that out of their head. That animation is solely for kids. Stop it. There are plenty of amazing adult animated movies shit what about um heavy metal fritz the cat um toon world mad world mad world mad world there's mad world shit even uh um who framed roger rabbit had a little bit of dark aspects to it you remember judge doom that motherfucker was scurry back in the day but I digress. Um, as for ratings, I'm going to give this movie a solid, a very solid four out of five um, sever- severed uh, cybernetic heads. Like, you can't, I, I'm the type of person that, uh, that's, that has a belief that you can't enjoy the original or you can't enjoy the the what's out now until you appreciate the original and it's that case when it comes to matrix and ghost in the shell or just cyberpunk in general and ghost in the shell not including blade runner because that's the that's the granddaddy right there but yeah um i have no idea what we're doing for the next recording but uh i'm pretty sure we're gonna come up with something and we'll let you know I'm thinking. Maybe. Nah, Liz will never watch a Serbian film. <laughs> Alright, my lovely people. Uh, don't forget to comment, like, rate, share with all your your, your, your peoples, your friends, your families. Um... Tell you, tell your your butcher, your barber, tell the um, tell the local trash guy that thinks he has a family, but it's actually just implanted memories. Yeah.
So that's Lizard and Panda signing out, but just Panda. So goodbye. Damn, two times in the middle of fucking recording. Uh, What's up? Uh, Damn, I'm gonna have to record this entire scene again because I forgot where the fuck I was at. Yeah, no, I completely forgot where I was at. This is why I'm going to have to start locking my... my... (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm I'm so